So I think that we can have a journal that publishes high quality research articles as well as provides resources for practitioners. It's about, for me, staying on top of what's happening around the world. What's the latest thinking? Is there a research base behind this? Where can I get good quality, up-to-date information and ideas from? Where can I be inspired? That is Simply Focus with every journey and Dumbly Gouda for live and joy and deep. Are you ready for this new episode? Then please welcome your hosts, Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godad. Welcome back, everyone, to episode number 103. We are here on Zoom with Sarah Jordan in Las Vegas and David Haynes in Adelaide. So we're talking from one side to the other side of the world, and we are talking about the worldwide project today. Thank you very much to the two of you for being here with us today and talk with us about the Journal of Solution-Focused Practice. David, you're president of the Australasian Association for Solution-Focused Brief Therapy since 2018. And Sarah, you're associate professor of couple and family therapy at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. You're chief editor as well of the Journal of Solution-Focused Practice. And David, it was, I think, one of your ideas to reignite yeah. the life of the journal. So yeah, to start with, what is it, David, that fascinates you about solution focus? Well, there are so many things that fascinate me, but what comes naturally to me is, I hate to say this, I'm embarrassed to say this, but the not knowing stance. So when I'm working, I like to think that I have all the answers, but really I don't. I'm not smart enough to be able to solve people's problems. But the really fascinating thing for me is that I don't have to have the answers. If I ask the right question, I can get my client to give me the answer. And it's such a weight off of my shoulders to be able to do that. I don't have to have the answers, but I can still help to make someone feel a bit better. So well before I learned solution-focused approach, I was lucky enough to get a job working in an emergency department. And there were two jobs vacant. And there were only two people who applied for the jobs, me and one other person. And I was not qualified enough. I wasn't experienced enough. So I went along to this job. They gave me the job. And uh, shortly into the job, I had a patient came into the emergency department who was overwhelmed with stress, problems, everything, causing him worries, causing him grief, making him feel depressed. And he listed off all of the problems, work problems, relationship problems, money problems, housing problems. And then he, after listing off all of these problems, he looked at me and said, I don't know what to do. Tell me, what should I do? And in a split second in my head, I'm thinking, I have to say something really important here. He wants me to give him the answer and I don't know what to do. What can I say to not make myself look stupid? And so this is all happening in a split second. And I said to him, look, that's a really tough situation you're in. I don't know what to do. I wonder what you could do. What could be one thing that you could change that could make a difference here? And he paused, said to me, well, if I change this one thing, that might help. And I said, well, how did that help? He said, well, if I did that, then this, this, and this would happen. But okay, I couldn't think of that. So that's where I learned about taking a not knowing stance just by accident. And then I found out, well, I can actually do this legitimately. I don't have to give the answers and I can help people to come up with the answer. Yes, I don't have to be smart. I just have to help to guide the person. And so that suits me just fine. I'm not smart enough to do anything else. Well, it seemed that you were smart enough to ask solution-focused questions, even without knowing about the solution-focused approach, which I really love. So thank you for the story. Sarah, what is it that fascinates you at the moment about solution-focused the most? 
You know, I think what at the moment really fascinates me the most is the new journal or the reignited journal, I think, because for several factors, I think for the first time, maybe ever in a long time, there is actually an international project task, whatever you want to call it, that's mutually beneficial to everyone. And then there's a real opportunity to bring together practitioners of all types, doing all types of work across the world. And so I'm really fascinated right now about all the opportunities and possibilities that the now renamed Journal of Solution-Focused Practices to be more inclusive of different disciplines is really exciting. And really, the sky is the limit as to who we can reach, our readership, having open free access of materials and articles to everyone all over the world is really, really excited. So that's what I'm really excited about right now these days. And we are really amazed how you put together this journal, how you invite solution-focused practitioners from all over the world to contribute in different ways to the journal. And we are really, really grateful to have the two of you here today to talk about that a little bit more. So David, how did it come about that we are here and that you are here and Sarah's here and that we're talking about an online journal launching soon and hopefully being a huge success worldwide? That's a good question because I sometimes wonder why I'm here in the first place. I fell into this job quite by, like most jobs I fall into by accident. But when the journal started, well, I think we should go back and just acknowledge the people that helped to start the journal in the first place and primarily Michael Durant. I do know that it goes back a bit further than that though. And my understanding that the idea was born in Malmo in Sweden in 2010. And there was a little quiet gathering of a few people And they were throwing ideas around about the future of solution focus, particularly from an academic perspective. And I think that's where the journal idea started. And that was back in 2010. And in 2014, Michael, as the president of the Australasian Association, developed the journal, put together an editorial board and put together a whole lot of articles. And in July 2014, the journal was born. And through Michael and the original team, they produced four editions, which I remember when they came out, they were fantastic. I loved, I remember receiving them in the mail thinking, you know, this is really good stuff. This is really inspiring. And it was disappointing to myself and a lot of people that we didn't continue that. It was a lot of work. And again, Michael did a lot of work on this. It was too much for one person. And eventually, you know, it was a long time before the next edition came in the next edition. By the time I took over as the role of president of the uh, Australasian Association, it had been a couple of years since the journal had been produced and I was concerned that we weren't going to see it again. So one of my goals was to try to reignite it somehow, just to see if there was enough interest in the community internationally that people wanted it. So I sent off a few emails. I got the editorial board list and just blindly emailed them most of whom I didn't know. But I said, look, are you interested? Do you want this thing to continue? Is there a place for it in the world? And unanimously, the replies came back, yes, absolutely. So I took it upon myself, really, just to say, how do we make this happen? So we started to think about a new editor. And again, I asked the question of the editorial board, where can we find an editor? Who are we going to do that? And I got two replies. One was a reply from Frank Thomas, who I had met before. And Frank said, look, if anyone's going to do it, really, Sarah would be the person for the job. And a few minutes later, I received an email from Sarah, not knowing about the other email. And Sarah replied and said, look, I'd really like to talk to you about this opportunity. So the first time Sarah and I met, it was just, all right, what do we do? How do we make this happen? 
both of us were in a position we'd never edited a journal, we'd never run a journal, never produced a journal, had no idea, and we just make it up as we go along now. And it's just all fallen into place with a lot of support from a lot of people. And this is beautiful because this is what we can really see and hear and feel that you're doing it with passion and that you really are interested in forming a community around that and that you do that in a very, very solution-focused way. So that's really, really cool. So Sarah, what are your best hopes for this journal? So if you'd asked me the best hopes question a year ago, I would have probably said to be able to figure out how to organize a journal and sustain it. And I think David and I, through our conversations, have asked, again, a lot of people all over the world about their interest, level of interest, and how we can come up with some structure to keep this going. And I think we've gotten to the point where we feel like we've accomplished that first best hope. At least my first best hope is to just sort of figure out how to do this. Most journals are housed within a organization, which it previously has been just AASFBT. Supporting a journal is a huge effort, and because a lot of our groups internationally are fairly small, it's pretty difficult to manage and oversee a journal just by one organization. So I think my second best hope was that this would truly be a collaborative effort around the world, that we would include as many groups, individuals, entities as possible to be able to sustain financially, as well as to provide input for the journal. My other best hope would be that we would increase our readership, not only by having free, open, online access to the materials, but in the near future to be able to translate abstracts and articles into other languages besides English. And so that is also a charge that we have as well to increase our readership as well as our contribution base of JSFP. Other hopes I have is that this journal would really bring together groups and individuals all over the world. I think for years and for decades at least, there have been groups all over the world that are working together and there might be political differences with some countries or some groups and past. I think that the journal is a perfect opportunity to bring everyone together for the same common purpose and goal. And so that's another best hope that I have, that this would really be a unifying opportunity for the world. And talking about contributions content-wise, so what contributions are you looking forward to receive and what would you like to see maybe even more in the future? Primarily in the early issues of the journal, there was a lot of focus on research articles as well as some theoretical articles. We want to continue that because we want to continue the evidence base of solution-focused practice around the world, but we'd like to also open it up so that practitioners that are not doing research or non-academicians can submit pieces, those that maybe English is not their first language, those that are students or those that are new practitioners. With the journal, we really want to set it up so we can be a mentoring platform for these individuals. So Raya Ghoul is one of our associate editors, and her charge is to really help new authors and their writing process so that we can take a great idea from someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of writing experience and have a published article out of that. So she is really taking those new writers under her wing. And in our first issue in July, we have an article by Frank Thomas and Amber Bloom 
that talks about how to write for JSFP, which is a great article that will be published in the first issue. And I think really gives some direction and some encouragement for people that have great ideas that have never submitted to a journal before. Mm -hmm. So that will be present in our July issue. Other things, book and material reviews, I think are important. Mark McCurgow has stepped up and said that he would be the books and material review editor for the journal. And so this is helpful too, because people can kind of get an idea of new or even past classic works. And perhaps if those can be eventually translated into other languages, individuals might get a better sense in their native language if that book or resource is worth purchasing or would be an interest to their particular practice. So really a wide variety, experiences, theoretical pieces, historical pieces, personal accounts with Stephen Insu from the past that I feel like are very important to not lose to document those, as well as uh, research articles. So really a very inclusive thing on the one hand, and on the other hand, really a platform for very experienced solution-focused practitioners. But you also, as I hear, want to encourage newcomers or people who have not yet written to start their journey, not only in practicing solution-focused, but really sharing what they do in the journal. Yes. So David, what are your best hopes for the journal Sarah said a couple of things which really mean a lot to me. The first one is sustainability. I wanted the journal to survive. I think it's important for all of the solution-focused community, and I'm not an academic, but I think that clinicians and practitioners need the journal for up-to-date information and uh, knowledge and case studies and education, the latest. My best hopes is that it becomes sustainable. It wasn't sustainable before, and the Australasian Association was too small to have maintain that sustainability. So by opening it up to a bigger international collaboration, I'm hoping that it becomes more sustainable, that we can put things in place now to make it easy, make it easy to help it to grow. And the other thing that Sarah said was about bringing together the international community. This wasn't at the forefront of my mind initially because I live in Australia. I was very detached from the international community. But when I started to get emails from all around the world saying, yes, we want this to happen, It was like we were starting to work on a common project together, that all of the organizations, associations, practitioners, individuals were all working together now to further the knowledge and information and practice and experience everything to do with solution-focused approaches. So we're all working together now. It's a really unifying thing. It's been fantastic. So that's my other best hope is that unification internationally just keeps growing. Beautiful. And looking at the process so far, what are you most proud of or inspired by what you did and how this came together? Well, I just want to brag on David a little bit. So my initial email to him was, I'm interested and let's talk. And my thought is that we would have conversations over a few months and we just sort of, you know, see if I was a good fit. And David had a lot of determination and was very focused and said, oh, we've got to get this done. We need things in place. We need the editor in place. We need to get off you know, the ground and running. And so I really appreciate his 
motivation and timeline to get this started. And I think it was really important to have that sort of initial push and like we really need to move forward and get these things solidified as quickly as possible. So I really appreciate that from David because I think it made a big difference because things could have fizzled, right? Things could have sort of fizzled out or other people might have thought, well, is this really going to happen? Should we get on board or not? And thanks to David and his really drive to see this through and come up with a plan for sustainability. I think that's the second thing is that we had several conversations about how do we make this sustainable? Because I agree, I thought that was an important part too. And we just sort of brainstormed all these possibilities and we were very creative and we would try some ideas out and sometimes they would stick and sometimes we'd have to modify those ideas. And I think that was a very solution focused way to develop the structure of the journal. Sounds like you had a preferred future and worked towards it, going with changes happening all the time, adapting where it's needed and amplify those things that already go in the right direction. Yes. The weird thing for me, if I can just add, is that Sarah says that I've been driving her and pushing her and having timelines and things, but I don't know where that comes from because, yes, it's true, I'll probably do that, but it's not me. I'm an introvert. I'm procrastinator. And so I sit on all of these unfinished projects at home. But for this, I don't know what happened because suddenly we're working on deadlines and we're just driving and driving and driving and let's do this and let's do this. I have no idea where that's come from in me. Just to know that I wanted the journal to succeed, had no idea how to do it. But you get driven by the passion of, I really love solution-focused approaches. And I think part of it is being inspired by people like Sarah or all of these people that email me from around the world. And I think, why are you emailing me? My thing is, as a nurse, a lot of nurses will say, I'm just the nurse. So if I'm in the hospital and someone will come up to me and say, oh, excuse me, doctor. And I say, no, 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 I'm not the doctor. I'm just the nurse. And suddenly people were coming up to me and saying, oh, David, can you help me with this? David, how do we get this journal off the ground? David, you know, and I'm getting emails from all these people that I've read their books and I've watched their videos and they've listened to their podcasts. And I think, wow, this is amazing. This is so inspiring. And it's just driven me along. Let's make this happen. Let's make it work somehow. I don't know how it's happened, but I guess inspiration by so many people around the world that's just driven me to do it. It reminds me of one of the sayings we have on our solution-focused RV, which is friend power is stronger than willpower. And it seems you're making use of this friend power very beautifully. You both mentioned sustainability. So what is already showing you that this is sustainable or will be or could be sustainable in the future? Well, I guess there's two things that we need, or there's several things we need, but two things to make it sustainable is that we need time and we need money. Time is limited by how much time I have or how much time Sarah has. So we need time of other people. So people are donating that time to us. So that's, I guess, the first thing. It can't be something that Sarah does or can't be something that I go do. Certainly couldn't be something that Michael Durant would do by himself. It's just not sustainable in terms of the time. So people are saying, yes, I will give you time to do this. And the second thing is money. To be sustainable, we do need money to do that. We worked on a shoestring budget previously, which meant that rather than pay people to do things, Michael would do it all himself, for example, to save money. So it saved a lot of money that we didn't have, but it cost a lot of time. So somehow we need a bit better balance where we're getting time from people and where we've got some money to pay for the things that we need to pay for. So that's been a big thing. We're getting donations of time and donations of money. 
And there are people all over the world want to join in and organizations all over the world donating. So who is donating? Who is supporting and uh, who's already on board? This just amazes me. It all started with the EBTA conference in Italy. I contacted the organizers and said, look, we're trying to release this journal again at about the time of the EBTA conference. Would you be willing to promote? And all I was thinking was, could we put up a slide on the screen or could we put something into the conference pack just to promote that the journal was being released, a special edition in November? And I received an email and said, sure, we'd love to help you. We can put a slide on, we can put something in the conference pack and here's a thousand euro as a donation. I saw this email and I thought, what, you want to give me money? I didn't even ask for money. So that was the EBTA organizers, and I can't pronounce their name, but it's Franchisi, Franchosi Foundation. I can't pronounce it. But Andrea and the team who were EBTA conference coordinators, they were jumping on board straight away. And they said, this is really important. We were lucky enough that we had a little bit of money in Australia that we'd saved up as well from not producing the journal for the last couple of years. So we'd saved up a little bit of money. And then we were getting approaches from organizations around the world, starting in China, We have three organizations in China that have donated money. We have people in Taiwan, Singapore, Austria, Switzerland, Sweden, UK, and USA. I think that's all. Plus, there are others that we are talking to from other places. So EBTA, for example, are trying to organize something with raising money through a crowdfunding platform. So everybody's got different ideas about how they're raising money. We're happy with anything, really. So partly it's the financial support that we're getting but more importantly it's the promotion and the confidence that we're getting from having all of these organizations coming with us to say yes we want this to happen we'll give you some time we'll give you a little bit of money we'll promote this so i can see that this is going to be much bigger much bigger production than it ever has been so far I just wanted to add to that too, that our co-sponsors, because I think it's really important so far to say that, and I think this will grow over time as well, but SFBTA was very interested in the journal and really wanted to participate and be a co-sponsor. So we've worked out a way that annually the association can add funds to their conference fees to be able to co-sponsor the journal, as well as the original home from AASFBT. And so I think those two are very important to mention as well as other donors And what does that mean to be a co-sponsor is we don't make anybody sign a contract or anything legal like that, but to make a commitment to say we are committing annually to give a dollar amount or a certain percentage to the journal to sustain the journal so that we have some stability from year to year. And I really like the way how you approach that there are so many different ways of contributing to it. So you have a donation button at your website, I think, David, right? There is a donation button there. So we're collecting funds and donations through website donations. Sarah produced a special edition last year that we sold as a fundraiser, create money so that we could go onto the free uh, open access platform from now on. And we're also just taking donations from organizations and groups and collectives. I wanted to add something else that University of Nevada, Las Vegas has been a great support of the journal. So we are allowed to publish this free of charge through UNLV's library. And that is possible because I'm the editor and I'm faculty member there in the couple and family therapy program through the School of Medicine. 
our program, Couple and Family Therapy, is also paying for an assistant for the journal, and that is invaluable. So I want to give a kind of a shout out or a thanks to the Couple and Family Therapy program at UNLV under the School of Medicine for providing that. That is a huge thing. So right now, Rachel is our assistant and she helps. And we've also had another assistant. I'm sure every couple of years we'll have a new person to come in and train to help with the journal. But I just wanted to acknowledge that as well. Thank you. And yeah, so you can go straight to the website of the AASFBT, which is www.solutionfocus.org.au. You will find that in the resource section as well. And there you can donate. But then there are also so many different ways of being able also to contribute financially to the journal for associations, for instance. I was very inspired by hearing those different stories, like when you do an annual gathering just to collect a specific amount, whatever high that is for your association, and donate that to the journal. Like I think some associations said we will donate, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 euro, dollar, whatever currency we have from every participant of the conference to the journal, then you could donate the specific amount of the membership fee. You could organize a crowdfunding. So there are so many opportunities to contribute or just sharing it with your members in your associations that they know about the donation button on the AASFBT webpage. So I think we would really love to encourage everyone of you out there to think about possibilities to contribute also financially to the journal. I did want to add too, I think as David and I have talked over the year about how to structure things, something that was really important to us is to make sure that those that are giving money have a say in how that money is spent. So we had our first management committee meeting recently. And what that group does is if there's a donor from an association or a sponsoring organization, they would send a representative to this meeting that would meet four times a year. And we would disclose how much money we have raised, how we're using that money, and let that group help advise us on the financial management of the journal. We have the editorial board that really focuses on the scholarship and the writing and the mission of the journal, but this management committee really serves to make sure that they're holding the editor accountable for two issues a year, that we're spending money appropriately, and really our best hope is that everybody would give just a little bit so that there wouldn't be a burden on any one group or organization to support the journal for the sustainability. And to have a journal like that is vital for a solution-focused community because there are not so many places where solution-focused research can be published. So it's really vital to have a place where people can publish and people from all different areas can publish and also really to make sure that solution-focused brief therapy stays in evidence-based practice. And that's my particular interest is evidence-based practice. Being on the research committee for, I don't even know how long, it's been over 10 years probably for SFBTA, being a researcher myself, my most important task is to make sure that we leave a legacy for this generation and the next to be able to justify to entities that what we are doing works 
you know, Ensu said that sometimes we have to speak French. We have to give other entities the information that they want to legitimize what we're doing that we know that works. And so I think evidence-based practice is a huge part of that. Working with my mentor, Jan Bavilis, that's been a big, important part of her charge as well and her commitment to providing research for SFBT and the promotion of the evidence-based. It's not just RCTs, randomized control trials. It's qualitative research. It's process research. Research. It's observing what's going on moment by moment through microanalysis. There's lots of different ways that we can widen the evidence base. And I think some journals favor quantitative results. And our journal, JSFP, and I say our because I believe it's everybody's journal, it's the community's journal that we offer the ability for people using lots of different methods and lots of different types of observations to contribute to the evidence base. Okay, can I just ask you a question, Sarah? I don't want to take over the podcast or anything, but I'm not an academic and I'm just curious about this. I also ask you from your background is that you knew Stephen Insu. So part of the question is about what do you think Stephen Insu would say about having the journal? But more particularly, Steve was a pretty prolific writer, I guess, and a lot of his early papers were published in family therapy journals, so like the Journal of Family Therapy and the Journal of Systemic Therapies and things. So I'm just curious, from your perspective, is it more important for us as a solution-focused worldwide community to publish a journal that's specifically dedicated to solution-focused therapy, or should we be promoting articles that go into other journals to promote solution-focused approaches and get it out to a wider reach ship? And this is kind of putting it on the spot here because I really want to promote our journal, but I wondered what someone like Steve would say, and I wonder what other people would say about that. I think that's a great question. From my experience, the Journal of Systemic Therapies has been the most SF-friendly journal out there. Lots of our research with my team that are published there. I think it's a both and. I think there are certain places for certain pieces. I would hope that on one hand that we would, as JSFP, would publish high quality research articles to promote and to ensure the credibility of the journal, but I think it's also important to publish these pieces in other places as well. I really think sort of the nature of family therapy, at least, is not as friendly in a whole to more postmodern approaches, definitely methodologies that are not quantitative, more recognized as research-intensive research methods. But I think it's a both and. Part of my role as the editor is to look for and find out about research studies that are out there to see if they're a good fit for JSFP. And there might be some studies and some groups that are working on pieces that I might suggest to submit to other journals, right, to have a wider audience. And so I think it really is a both and. And your question to what would Stephen Insu say, I think that they would be really happy about having a platform that would promote and encourage submissions of articles and pieces that would be rejected in other places. I could think of one particular article. There was an article from studying the Bruges model with Luke Isabert looking at alcohol treatment. And it was an article that it didn't get into any journal because it showed that if people had a choice between control drinking or abstinence only, taking this more solution-focused approach to problematic drinking, that I think it was like 93% of participants who had the ability to choose and then either chose or changed 
either controlled drinking approach or an abstinence only approach were successful after two years. And this study was highly successful and nobody would publish it <laughs> because it was very controversial. So I think of pieces where we can show a lot of success in the model that may not be picked up in other journals because of political reasons or because the methodology is different or unique. And so I think JSFP is a great place for those pieces that may not get an opportunity in other journals. I mentor still a lot of doc students or doc students that have graduated in the field and those that have done solution-focused projects, sometimes they get that feedback that they're not as journals or and at least in family therapy are not as friendly to solution-focused approaches. And so I think that, again, it's a both and. I think we need it out in the wider audience as well as kind of at our own audience too. So I wonder how you will make sure that the articles and particularly the scientific articles will also be seen not only by the solution-focused community, but also by the scientific community and find a way into the scientific discourse. I think if we are publishing high-quality pieces, high-quality articles, they will be cited by other articles and other journals. So I'm thinking of Johnny Kem and I and a group of others published an article entitled, Is Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Evidence-Based? And this was published over a decade ago, and it was published in Families and Societies. And, you know, I thought it was an important paper, but I didn't know how about the readership. And for that year, we were the most cited article in Families and Societies, which is a social work journal that is actually a pretty good standing journal. And so my thoughts are if we can produce high quality pieces and get them out free, I think that open access free, you know, as, as students are citing for their papers and dissertations and theses, they're looking for downloadable full text articles, right, that are free. So the more that we have that out there in the world, the more authors will cite our pieces from JSFP and thus people will hear about. It. They'll be looking in the references list in another article published in another journal and say, oh, wow, that's a great article. I've never heard of this journal before. Let me go check it out. So I think one of the things that we have in favor for us is this open access, this online free open access. I think the other part is our editorial board. And I think as we continue to build the editorial board internationally, and we look for scholars and we look for people that are well-known in the community, but that are also active editorial board members that take an active role in reviewing pieces, that go out and solicit manuscripts for the journal and encourage their students or other professionals to submit pieces, I think that will also help with the integrity of the journal too. And this then helps solution focus to grow and to yeah, stay in evidence-based practice. And I cannot highlight the importance of that enough because if solution focus is not an evidence-based practice, it will not be paid and the practitioners will not be able to practice that and agencies will choose other models. So there are so many things that connect to that and I think the importance of having a journal like that and being able to publish these pieces and help solution focus to grow is immensely And there is so many great research be done right now. And really many, many people are doing high quality research and to have a platform to show that and to share that so that we as practitioners also have more basis for what we are doing is really crucial. So I'm very, very grateful for all the work you do and all the practitioners who not only practice solution focus and also do research and share that. 
and make it accessible for others. Another best hope that I have for the journal that aligns with the financial contributions and evidence-based practices, you know, as a management committee, we've talked about what if we have the fortunate problem of having more money than we need for the year or for our budget. And my best hopes is that we would, and that money then could go to research grants so that we could be funding our own research proposals. Now, that doesn't mean that if somebody won a, a research grant award from JSFP that they'd automatically get their article and still go through peer review process, of course. But I think that could be another way where we could generate quality research that could then be published in the journal. So it's sort of the cycle of, of giving some seed money to students or to practitioners maybe that don't have the available funds to pay participants or to buy software that they need to analyze data, that then that project could be submitted to the journal and we could grow the evidence base that way too. That's awesome. So David, looking back on your journey with JSFP Journal, if there's one thing we have not yet talked about that was really important and crucial for you, what might that be? I think really I could answer that by just following something that Sarah just said. Sarah is an academic and a clinician. That's why we've got her in the job. And she provides the academic rigor and approach to putting this journal together. I'm not an academic. Like I say, I'm just the nurse. I'm a nurse. I'm a clinician. I just like the solution-focused approach. And I just want to highlight that the journal to me is not about research. The journal to me is not about academia. The journal to me is about keeping up to date with the latest work that's happening around the world. So if you give me some highfalutin research article that has funny symbols on it that says P equals 0.01, and I don't know what that means, okay? I'll read the introduction, I'll read the conclusion, and I'll get a bit of a feel for it. But it's about, for me, staying on top of what's happening around the world. What's the latest thinking? Is there a research base behind this? If someone asks me, where can I get good quality, up-to-date information and ideas from? And where can I be inspired? And so far in the previous editions, I've been getting that from the journal. It's been such a good mix of pure academic research, thoughts, ideas, contemporary views, case studies, interviews with notable SF people around the world. It's been such a good mix. And even we're heading towards student papers now. We're heading towards translation of papers from other languages. So we're building up such a great resource here that It's not for academics, it's for clinicians, lay people, anybody with an interest. That's my best hope, that, or the legacy that I hope that we can leave or build up to say, this is what we're giving to the solution-focused world, and this is what we're using to attract people to our solution-focused world. Sarah, what is it for you? As David was speaking, I was just sort of making a list. I think the good thing is I keep thinking of more and more best hopes and things that I'm grateful for. And first and foremost, I'm just grateful for everyone who's been part of this kind of reigniting of the journal, whether it's been primarily David getting the ball rolling, the editorial board, donors, sponsors, individuals just reaching out, people wanting to submit articles. I mean, everyone at all levels. I'm just very grateful for that. You know that we talked about research a lot, but I would bet, I don't know what the percentage is, but most solution-focused practitioners are not researchers. And so I think that we can have a journal that 
publishes high quality research articles as well as provides resources for practitioners. Coaching, the field of nursing, business, uh, you name it. There are lots of different places where people use solution-focused practices and felt so strongly about it that we changed the name of the journal, which can be controversial in terms of, you know, kind of keeping the legacy of what we've done in the past. But I think it was really important to change it from therapy to practices because I would say there's probably as many people using a solution-focused approach in other disciplines than therapy. And so I think that, especially internationally, I think that's really important. The creative piece, David talked about being inspired. So even if you're not a researcher, but seeing what somebody else is doing out in the world in terms of creating more evidence for the effectiveness of solution-focused practice is great. And connecting people. So a lot of times we hear about people's work through reading an article. So that then creates a dialogue, which creates another project, which then creates collaboration. And so that is my hope as well, that people would connect all over the world and say, oh, you're doing this equine therapy in this country. Oh, wow, I'm doing that over here. Let's talk and see how we can combine our resources and come up with you know some more new ideas. So I think that's another great way that JSFP can bring people together is to show that we are doing a lot of things, a lot of creative things. You know, I read some of these pieces. I'm like, wow, I would have never thought of that. And our job as a journal too is not to say this is or this isn't solution focused, but it is to make sure that it's within the realm of solution focused conversations. And I think there can be debate sometimes of what's a purist and what's not, what's a 2.0 and what's a, you know, but I think all of these ideas are important because that's how the model has evolved is through conversations and to realize that we may be using things differently than other groups are and that that's okay and to notice the distinction between those different approaches. Yeah. So let's come to the challenge of the week. So my challenge for the week is that anyone listening to this podcast with some way become more familiar with JSFP and to challenge you to in some way contribute to the journal, whether that's reading an article, our next issue will be published online in July, whether it is making a five or $10 or $20 contribution, whether it's emailing me, Sarah Jordan is the editor saying, I think I have an idea for a paper, but I've never written before for a journal. Can you help me out? Can you give me some ideas? Whatever way that looks like, maybe it's telling somebody else about JSFP and say, hey, so-and-so, I know you're working on a project. You might think about submitting an article or contributing $10 or something to that fact. The other thing is that we're going to have a launch in July of the next issue. This will be a virtual launch of JSFP and more details to come, but it will be a 24-hour launch where we'll have three different launch parties in different time zones so that people can join and hear from the authors, either live and or a short recording of the contributions for the July issue. And so it will be a great way to connect with people in your region, in your relative time zone, and we're very excited about this virtual launch. We too, Dominic and I already thought we will set up a launch party inspired by what David mentioned a few days ago. Yeah, thank you very, very much for the challenge. David, would you love to add something to the challenge? As much as I would love everybody to be writing papers and submitting papers, I know that that's not possible for everybody. So perhaps from my perspective, when I started in my solution focus journey, all I wanted to do was work on a local level. 
to get some local clinicians in my town to get together to support each other, encourage each other, teach each other. And we developed a community of practice. That's all I was interested in. Now I'm doing something on an international stage. I don't know how or why, but I'm doing something on an international stage now to promote solution-focused approaches. So my challenge would be to individuals and to local groups, what can you do to promote the solution-focused approach? Whether that's on a local level, your own health network, your own community, your own place of employment, or whether that's on a bit broader or national level. But how can we promote the experiences that we all know that we have, that solution focus works? So how can we promote the experience, not just the research and the evidence behind it, but to build an excitement and an enthusiasm for the solution focused approach? Just like I know you guys do with this podcast, which is fantastic. It creates an excitement and an enthusiasm for us all. So what can we all do to do that to promote the SF way? Thank you so much. I don't know with which to start now. <laughs> Actually, I think we're on the way in both. So. We can do both and go on. And we thank you very much for being on the podcast today. We're very excited to be at the launch party in July 28th and to see the next issue coming out and really to see the Journal of Drive. And please, everybody, join in and be part of it. Contribute to it. Share it. Let Sarah know how they can support you in writing or whatever it is to support JSFP or, and of course, the solution folks approach. And reach out to the AASFPT and go to the donation button or find ways to also financially contribute because financial resources are really important to contribute to the sustainability of the journal as well. And you will find all the resources we mentioned, the date to the launch party, and as soon as there are more information We will add those also in the resource section of our podcast on www.sfontour.com slash simplyfocuspodcast and then go to episode 103. And please, as usual, share with us in the comment field what inspired you by this episode. We're very much looking forward to hearing from you, to reading from you, yeah, to going this journey together. So thank you very much again. And one more thing that you could do to contribute to spread the word about solution focus, the excitement, all the things David and Sarah were talking about too, is to write a review for our podcast because with your review, you will contribute that more people can find the podcast and will find the podcast. And with that, we'll connect with solution focus and all the amazing people around the world. So thank you very much to everyone who already wrote a review and to everyone who will write a review in the future. So thank you very much and see you next week. Goodbye. 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 Thank you. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Goodbye. Thank you very much, guys. It's been great. <laughs>